right. Well, welcome back, everybody, to the Last Connect show for today until at least the wrap-up that will be held in Spanish with Gabe and Swatha right at the end of today's sessions. But for now, you get myself, Cindy, and... Colby. <laughs> Colby. <laughs> it's like Cindy and Colby show. Anyway, uh, we're having a good time, really, and hope you are, too. Uh, today, uh, or at least right now, we have two guests. We're going to start with Michael Garrett, representing the MMS program, and he'll tell you all about that. And then we're going to hear from our crafting queen, Kayla Allen. So uh, let's first go to Michael. Hi, Michael. Hi. And hello, everybody. Welcome to this legislative seminar. I just want to talk briefly about MMS. I'm I'm representing the MMS team, or the monthly monetary support team. And what it is, is you, our listeners and friends and anybody who wants to have a chance to monetarily support ACB. And we do that because it enhances the services and and projects that ACB delivers to the blind and visually impaired community. The benefit of that is that everybody in our community can enhance their lives. And so in this program, we've been giving some incentives uh, for those who are a part of MMS. If you will renew or increase your contribution by at least $5 or new contributors come in at a minimum of $10, you can be added to our drawing for uh, a $25 Amazon gift card. Uh, Today is the last day to get the Amazon gift card, and tomorrow your your name will go in the drawing for a $100 gift card. Uh, Yesterday's winner was Danette Dixon. Yeah, she's one of our hosts. She's one of our hosts. Yes, yeah. she posted some of our meetings. So, mm-hmm. so congratulations, Danette. And and so uh, we're we're just hoping that that we get many, many, many more people to to join. How can you do that? Uh, you can go to ask acbmms dot uh, at at gmail dot com. That's a s k a c b m m s at gmail.com, or during the hours of uh, 9 to 5, you can call 888-999-3190, and you will get uh, a return call and and take your information. And in lieu of those uh, uh, communications efforts, if they don't meet your satisfaction, just call the ACB office in Minneapolis. All right. And uh, Michael, I I am going to up mine $5. So if you want to convey that to uh, the powers that be, uh, they know how to get a hold of me. So I'll would, do you, that. I'll, I'll would do you do that. that for me? I surely will. All right. Well, thank you so and much. Thank you. Thank you. You're, you're an example for the rest of the folks. 
but it's it's pretty painless. See how easy that was? That was way too easy. <laughs> uh, uh, this is kind of easier than like setting up a table and like waiting for people to come to you, right? You get to talk to a lot right. of people at once right here and now. Right so, now. This yeah. is great. This is great. All Thank right. you very much, Cindy. Thanks. Thank you. And I'm going to count on you letting Gene uh, or whoever needs to know that I am doing that and because uh, I want to be in the drawing. I mean, All right. very you good. know, yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, Michael. Sure. Mm-hmm. All right. And before we go to Kayla, uh, would you mind, Colby, uh, letting people know about how they can learn more about the mini mall? Yes, I can certainly do that. You can send an email to mall at acb.org or you can call I know the eight, number by heart. <laughs> yeah, 8 877-969-6255 or an easy way to remember that is mall. Yep. 969 mall. All right. Thank you, Colby. And now let's we talked about community earlier today and some of the many different types of calls, but one of them, one type of call in particular has become a community of their own within our community. And that is our crafters, our crazy crafters. My gosh, sometimes they have things like five days a week. It's just, I mean, when I think about how it started in June of 2020, once, one hour, twice a month, and within a couple months, it was like a wildfire. And Kayla, I know you kind of slipped in with, um, in the beginning, just being asked to kind of join in. And then next thing you know, you are leading the way. I know you have a lot of help, but uh, it has definitely been uh, a delight to work with you and Courtney and um, just to see this, this crafting community flourish and so why don't you tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing what what kinds of classes do you have and anything else you want to share awesome thank you um so yeah we got started last june and in the first year we did 52 events the following year we've done we did almost 200 just shy we were at 197 um i haven't counted this year because i i don't know if i can count that high we've seen an (laughs) increase again um, but we offer a variety of classes that are 95% taught by blind people. We do have a couple sighted volunteers that do help out. Um, we've made many connections. Um, Cindy mentioned earlier, um, Missy Kitts, she, uh, Tammy from Missy Kitts comes in. She provides kits and instruction, and she's one of our sighted peers. Um, We've also made some connections with the Hadley School for the Blind, and I've worked closely with them um, and the crafting um, uh, calls that they that they produce and they pr- promote as well. Um, as Cindy had mentioned earlier, we do offer a variety of ongoing fiber arts classes, and that includes crochet, loom knitting, and needle knitting, and those both are all three of those meet two times per month. And we offer both beginner and advanced classes in those. Um, and then I, we have a variety of other classes that I kind of just put into a general craft um, c- 
categories. So this could be anywhere from um, Braille drawings, which we have at 5 p.m. this afternoon. So if you guys are um, want to participate in that, we'll be drawing a piece of pie for Pie Day. Um, we do pony beating. We've we have at least one or two paper craft events each month. You can make cards to send out to your families. Um, uh, just a variety of things. Wine cork stuff too. Like cork, I know you yes, guys have done so, stuff with the wine yeah, cork. So we just incorporated. <laughs> we'll have Tipsy Tuesday once a month where we do a wine cork class on a Tuesday evening. Oh my gosh, that is awesome. <laughs> we have Crafty Gap Fridays where we get together and we chat. Sometimes we have a topic. Sometimes we just have open chat. Um, we now offer a book club, so we'll be reading, um, we've done this, we started this back in December, where we'll be reading a craft book each month, um, both nonfiction and fiction. Um, it just has to have some sort of a crafting um, element to it, and I will say last month's book is a series, and I'd say uh, at least half the people started the second book, some read onto book five already, <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, pretty impressive. Um, this is not what I thought it was going to be when we started, um, but I am so grateful to have the opportunity to be part of it. And I am just so grateful for the team of ladies I work with. Um, they are tremendous. They they just they help out so much and they help me keep on track and all of that as well. And make it so I don't have to do everything because there is a lot. <laughs> um, we do also have a listserv, a Facebook page. Um, yeah, so that's kind of. So, what is are. the email address if they wanted yeah. to? Your email address, I know something like acbcrafters. acbcrafters at gmail.com if you want any more information. Um, and I send out a weekly email that has all our scheduled events coming up. Um, so I ha I'll send that out on Wednesday. And um, I have some classes already scheduled in August. So and if, somebody, <laughs> if somebody wanted to bring their skill set, um, teach a class, do they just email you at that Absolutely, yeah. So okay. if you have a talent you would like to share with us, um, that's where most of our classes come from. I would say 90% of them are um, just other people in the community who have a skill that they're willing to share with us. Um, so if you are that person and have an idea for a class, whether you want to lead it or you want someone else to lead it, please send me an email to acbcrafters at gmail.com. And I would love to work with you. Uh, Courtney and I have gotten together with people ahead of time gone through the course with them if they didn't feel comfortable teaching on their own and then we are there to support you 100% of the time you would be on the call. And Kayla, what is, I know you have your own little crafting uh, office, whatever, uh, you know, that has been created for you at home. Um, it's tell my crafty folks, cottage. Your crafty cottage. I couldn't think of the words you <laughs> use. Um, but you also landed a job uh, I did, and, and crafting is your love, right? So it is. <laughs> tell tell about really briefly. Tell about yeah. your job and what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So I was doing my volunteer work here with ACB as content as can be. Um, I told my mom on a Saturday I need a job so I can pay for more craft supplies. Sunday <laughs> afternoon, I got a job offer for a job that didn't exist. I didn't apply for. 
but they saw me doing what I was doing here and offered me a job. So now I work with Future Insight. They're out of New Hampshire and I'm in Arizona. And um, they reached out to me, offered me a job. And now I am and I do craft classes and social calls with them as well. Amazing. I mean, just yeah. such a win-win, right? And Absolutely. And I still get to stay here. <laughs> and you still get to stay here, which I remember that was really a concern for you. It was. Um, yeah. So what is your favorite craft? What is your favorite thing to make do? What is your um, My favorite always to whatever. go to is crochet. Yeah. Um, right. It's uh, something that I've, it's one of my first crafts I learned before. Um, after basket making, which I absolutely love as well. Um, but it's one of those things I learned how to do when I was in junior high and I, um, I'm ADD. So I sat in class through high school and I crocheted and my grades went up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much, Kayla. Thanks for joining us. I'm going to turn this over to Colby really quick to tell us what's coming up to, uh, for the rest of the time. Yes. So we've, we've got next up a presentation from the Federal Communications Commission about broadband adoption and disability rights. So being included as people with disabilities in digital accessibility and inclusion. And then at 6 p.m., there is the Spanish wrap-up show with Swatha and Gabe. And that will conclude things for today. That's amazing. So, Kayla, thank you for all you do. I know that you contribute endless hours to crafting. And we heard from Kenneth yesterday about the DKM program. And we know that you were one of the people selected last year. And really, (laughs) and it was really, um, it had a lot to do with your work in our community. So thank you so much for all you do. And I've already gotten to meet you once. I can't wait to see you in (laughs) Omaha and get another big hug. When we're going to have, like, we were talking about this before we came on air. We are trying to organize a big community hug fest. (laughs) So we're all about it. Anyway. All right, Colby, we'll see you tomorrow. And uh, yep, back to the general sessions. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. All right. Thank you, Rick. And thank you, everyone, for joining us for the for the D.C. Leadership Conference and the first day of the legislative seminar. Thank you, Cindy Hollis and uh, Colby Garrison for an awesome job with the Connect shows. And Swatha, thank you for uh, your participation and leadership on one of one of our three breakout panels. Um, Swatha, how was the the breakout session that you helped host? I think it went went well. Um, We had a lot of good feedback. We had a lot of good um, um, advice and good sessions. So, yeah, great great meeting, I think. And due to the amazing work of Rick and Larry and everyone from ACB Media, I was using the ACB Link smartphone app and bouncing around between uh, Media 6, 7, and 8. I I certainly enjoyed hearing from... uh, Beth Osborne about the 
uh, advocacy related to the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Uh, but I'm also excited for our final general session here today, where we're going to talk with some of ACB's partners from government. You know, a lot of the items we've talked about thus far have been focused on uh, the need for accessible technology, uh, what we can do in terms of advocacy, what has been done in years past with the passage of the Communications and Video Accessibility Act. But we know that there's still plenty more that can be done. Uh, and we're excited to have several folks from the Federal Communications Commission, where ACB is an active member of the Disability Advisory Committee, as well as the Consumer Advisory Committee. And, and we know we have a good partner in the FCC. But before we hear from our guests and introduce them, we do have a, a special message um, that we can play here, Rick, in the form of a video from Senator John Thune from South Dakota. Hi, I'm Senator John Thune from the great state of South Dakota. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. First and foremost, I want to thank each of you for the work you do for the visually impaired community in South Dakota and across the country. Your work to advocate for inclusive public policies that improve the independence, quality of life, and economic opportunity for this community is incredibly important. One area where we have partnered to achieve those goals is the integration of automated vehicles on our nation's roadways. Advancements in technology like the development of automated vehicles have the power to drastically improve the quality of life for the Americans that you serve. AVs will change the way that we move in numerous ways, making the transportation system safer, more efficient, and more accessible. Individuals whose mobility is currently limited, including Americans with disabilities, could gain new independence with the deployment of automated vehicles, allowing them to work or visit friends and family safely and easily. Given the potential I see in automated vehicles, I've been working to develop a bipartisan regulatory framework for their safe testing and deployment. I'll continue to work on efforts to harness the safety, quality of life, and economic benefits of this critical emerging technology. I've also been a longtime champion of expanding internet service and broadband to underserved communities. This is especially critical for Americans with disabilities who rely on the internet for support. I'm committed to helping advance these technologies because I know their power to improve the quality of life for South Dakotans and Americans across the country. Thank you again for the invitation to speak with you today. And thank you for your advocacy on this important issue. Your efforts are important to ensure these Americans get the proper services and support. I hope the rest of your meeting is productive and informative. Thank you. Great. Well, thank you so much. And thank you, Senator Thune, for, for your leadership when it comes to more accessible uh, transportation and the National Autonomous Vehicle Framework, but also your leadership with broadband uh, deployment, availability, and adoption. And that's one of the topics that we're going to hear from our guests here today. So first, I would like to introduce our three guests, and then I'll turn it to the first one. Uh, to begin the presentation from the Federal Communications Commission here today. So first, from the FCC's Media Bureau, we have Michael Scurato. And Michael is the Assistant Chief of the Policy Division at the Media Bureau. Then we'll hear from Lyle Ishida. And Lyle is the Chief of Consumer Affairs and Outreach Division 
within the Consumer and Government Affairs Bureau. And then last but last not least, friend of ACB, uh, Mr. Daryl Cooper, attorney in the Disability Rights Office of the FCC. So, Michael, welcome, and I'll turn it over to you. Thank you so much, Clark. And hello, everybody. I'm really honored to be virtually joining all of you this evening uh, in the midst of ACB's 2022 Leadership Conference. I'm hoping you all continue to have an informative and successful convening. Uh, As Clark mentioned, my name is Michael Scrato. I work in the FCC's Media Bureau. Uh, I'm a white male in my late 30s with medium-length black hair and black glasses. I came to the Media Bureau by way of the Enforcement Bureau and after working for two commissioners, former Commissioner Mignon Clyburn and Commissioner Jeffrey Starks. And uh, I've been working on accessibility issues at the commission uh, for the better part of the last two years, ever since I joined the Media Bureau. I've been focusing primarily on the accessibility of video programming. Uh, I know that Lyle and Daryl will will touch on some other aspects of the agency's work. Um, but I, I'm really glad to be sitting next to them for what I'm sure will be a spirited Q&A session. And truly, uh, we love coming to these events because, you know, I think in the Q&As, we, we uh, end up learning a lot from, from, from you all as to uh, what you're seeing and what's going on. So let me dive right in. Since the enactment of the CVAA in 2010, the Media Bureau has worked with many others in the commission, too. And I'm quoting legislative history here to ensure that individuals with disabilities are fully able to fully utilize communication services and equipment and better access video programming. So pursuant to the authority granted to us by Congress, we've worked closely with Daryl and Lyle and our colleagues in the Consumer and Governmental Affairs Bureau and Disability Rights Office, the Wireless Telecommunications Bureau, the Public Safety and Homeland Security Bureau, agency leadership, and many of the stakeholders in this virtual room with a focus on making sure that we're doing everything we can under the power given to us by Congress to ensure that video programming and communication services are fully accessible. At the commission, we understand that vindicating these accessibility goals is not a trivial matter. People who are blind and visually impaired watch just as much video programming as sighted people do and pay significant amounts of money for devices and subscriptions. TV and video programming is inextricably intertwined with our society and culture, educates, it provides critical news and information, and it's foundational to fostering the informed and engaged electorate critical to our democracy. So first, let me give you a little background uh, about our agency and, and specifically my bureau. The FCC is an independent agency that's very much a creature of Congress. That is to say that our jurisdiction, the bounds of our authority, and our oversight is controlled by Congress, by folks like Senator Thune, who we just heard of, and others, through legislation, uh, through the power associated with setting our budget and authorizing the use of our funds, uh, and through hearings and other forms of direct engagement. We were originally authorized by the Communications Act of 1934, and our authority has been tailored over the years by other legislation, such as the Telecommunications Act of 1996, the CVAA, and various other bills, large and small. We have five commissioners, and we're at full strength, no more than three from any one political party, and we regulate, quote, communications by wire and radio, close quote. The commission, like other administrative agencies, regulates primarily through two different types of proceedings, through rulemakings on one hand and adjudications on the other hand. Rulemakings result in generally applicable rules of the road for similarly situated regulatees. And adjudications typically deal with a specific set of facts uh, that are specific to a particular party, 
often deal with enforcement of our rules when they are broken or granting waivers of or exemptions from our rules in certain circumstances. So when the CBA was signed into the law, it generated a lot of exciting work for the commission, primarily at first in the form of rulemakings, as the commission needed to translate the directives found in the CBA into workable regulations for the various industries under our jurisdiction. Uh, and some of that work was undertaken by my bureau, the Media Bureau, which typically deals with regulating broadcasters, including television and radio stations and cable companies. Pursuant to the CBAA, the Media Bureau, in coordination with CGB, DRO, and others around the commission, conducted rulemaking proceedings in those early years, uh, addressing many major areas of the statute, including audio description uh, and the accessibility of user interfaces and video programming guides and menus. And I should say the commission is always looking for areas where more can be done. For instance, in April of last year, the commission released a public notice to invite public comment on whether any updates are needed to our rules implementing the CBAA. Most of these rules have been in effect for many years. Many of them have not been revisited recently, some since initial adoption. Uh, and we all know that since 2010, uh, there have been vast changes in technology and industry practices uh, different change, changes in consumer experience. And so, you know, when we sought comment on whether to update the rules, we received extensive comments from ACB, ACB members, other blind advocates, and many others. That record remains open. And, uh, there's, there's really a lot of great information that's, that's kind of, that we're sifting through there. So today I'm going to focus specifically on audio description and accessible user interfaces. And I'll start by taking each of these in turn to describe to you the uh, resulting commission rules in each context. And then I'll discuss some of the past and pending adjudications that, that we've undertaken. So first on audio description, the commission initially adopted audio description rules in the year 2000, about 10 years prior to the past CDAA. But those rules were overturned by the United States Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit on the ground that the commission lacked authority to establish the rules. Understanding this history, where the FCC's authority was called into question, Congress uh, wrote provisions into the CVAA explicitly granting the commission the power to reinstate its earlier audio description rules and expand them in certain narrowly defined instances. After conducting a rulemaking proceeding, the commission reinstituted those audio description rules uh, in October of 2011, those rules require large market broadcast affiliates of the top four national networks and multi-channel video programming distribution systems, MVPDs, with more than 50,000 subscribers to provide audio description. The rules also require that, to the extent technically possible, all network-affiliated broadcasters, commercial or non-commercial, and all MVPDs pass through any audio description provided with programming they carry. In 2015, as directed by the statute, the requirement to provide audio description uh, for a a ABC, CBS, Fox, and NBC affiliates expanded to the top 60 markets. In 2017, the commission increased the amount of audio described programming that must be carried on each covered network to 87.5 hours per calendar quarter. It also provided flexibility with respect to the airtime of uh, 37.5 quarterly hours, allowing them to be provided at any time between 6 a.m. and midnight. The CVA also provided the commission with authority to phase in the audio description regulations for up to 10 additional designated market areas, DMAs, each year. If the costs of implementing the uh, regulations to program owners, providers, and distributors in those additional markets are reasonable, as determined by the commission, uh, except that the commission may grant waivers to entities and specific DMAs where it deems appropriate. 
So in October 2020, acting as soon as we possibly could, according to the statute, the commission adopted a report and order expanding its audio description requirements by phasing them in for an additional 10 DMAs each year for the following four years, thus covering DMAs 61 to 100. The commission found that the cost of this expansion would be reasonable for program owners, providers, and distributors. And as of January 1st of this year, the top four affiliates now in the top 80 markets are covered by audio description requirements. Uh, this is, includes some new markets that weren't previously covered, such as Omaha, Nebraska, Columbia, South Carolina, and Rochester, New York. And we're going to continue uh, on January 1st of each year to add 10 more markets until we cover the top 100. That order, uh, where we expanded our markets, also directed us to make a determination in 2023 as to whether the costs associated with further expansion beyond the top 100 markets are reasonable and whether that expansion should indeed continue. Uh, notably, in that same order, we modernized the terminology that is included in our rules to refer to audio description. Previously, uh, we had referred to it as video description, but you know, based in part of a, on a recommendation that we received from our Disability Advisory Committee, we updated our terminology to reflect the, the more widely used term. Uh, last year, the Media Bureau updated the list of top five non-broadcast networks subject to the audio description rules, so cable networks. Uh, and, and, and this new list is effective as of July 1st, 2021. It, it includes TLC, HGTV, Hallmark, History and TBS. Some, some popular cable channels such as Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, and ESPN were granted exemptions of the audio description rules as they had been previous in the past as well because they provide less than 50 hours per calendar quarter primetime programming that is not live or near live. Uh, in August of last year, uh, in response to a request from TBS, we, we granted a limited waiver of our audio description rules subject to the requirement that TBS airs at least 1,000 hours of audio described programming each quarter uh, without regard to the number of repeats. And audio describes all newly produced non-live programming air between 6 a.m. and 11.59 p.m. local time. That limited labor, waiver request was supported by ACB and, and, and others due to the significant amount of audio description TBS would provide under the alternative requirements. And it covers the current ratings period ending uh, on June 30th, 2024. So just to summarize all of that, where we currently stand, FCC rules require local TV uh, station affiliates of ABC, CBS, Fox, and NBC located in the top 80 markets to provide 87.5 hours per calendar quarter, about seven per week of audio described programming. 50 hours must be prime time or children's programming, 37.5, maybe any type of programming between 6 a.m. and midnight. Uh, subscription TV systems offered over cable, satellite, fiber networks uh, with 50,000 or more subscribers must also provide 87.5 hours per quarter uh, of audio described programming on the top five most watched non-broadcast networks. Uh, with the same 50 hours must be in prime time or children's programming, 37.5 between 6 a.m. and midnight. Broadcast TV and subscription TV systems must also pass through audio description received with their programs unless the secondary audio stream on which audio description is often carried is being used for another purpose related to programming. And beyond our rules, many entities currently voluntarily provide audio description to include local affiliates of top four networks outside of the top 80 DMAs, many PBS stations, and smaller subscription TV systems. We always recommend that folks check with their local stations or cable providers to see what's offered. 
Uh, and one more thing that I want to mention on the audio description front before I move on to user interfaces. Uh, one of the out, one outgrowth of our 2021 CVAA public notice that I previously touched on was that it informed the launch of a series of public events on the accessibility of online video programming. Our first forum was held in December of last year, focused on closed captioning online. It was a great convening of a lot of experts that provided us with the benefit of unique perspectives on the state of accessibility of online video programming. The chairwoman recently announced that our second event, a forum on the state of audio description online, uh, will take place on Monday, March 28th at 1 p.m. Eastern. More details will be forthcoming in a commission public notice that will be posted on our website, fcc.gov, and I hope that many who are here today will be able to attend. Uh, now, on to user interfaces and video programming guides and menus. On that front, uh, the FCC rules require that devices that play video programming and cable, satellite, and fiber set-top boxes have accessible user interfaces for people who are blind or visually impaired. This generally means that people who are blind or visually impaired have to be able to independently operate and use all or nearly all of the functions of a device, such as the settings, menus, channel selection, start, stop, fast forward, and so on. Most of this is accomplished through a speech synthesizer. These rules have separate requirements for cable, satellite, and fiber TV services, and uh, there are also separate requirements for all other devices that play video programming. So, Starting with the cable, satellite, and fiber TV services, if you subscribe to cable or satellite or fiber TV service, they must provide an accessible set-top box experience to people who are blind or visually impaired right now. All of them. Uh, you know, there are a few small or rural analog cable companies that don't have to, but in general, all cable companies have to provide an accessible set-top box. If a blind or visually impaired customer requests an accessible set-top box, the company has to provide it at no additional charge. So, you're paying $50 a month and you request an accessible box, your bill should remain $50 a month, even if the accessible box is a very expensive piece of equipment. They have to make it generally easy to get, They have, and they have to have an accessible website that lists who you can speak to to find out more information. That person uh, has to be able to explain how to get one of these devices and how to use the accessibility functions on their device. Now, the cable companies have some flexibility on how they can achieve these accessible user interfaces. Some companies have set-top boxes that are accessible right out of the box, but others use an accessible tablet app that controls the set-top box. Others provide a different add-on. Uh, they're allowed to do this, but at the end of the day, it has to be usable. If you're unsure if your cable or satellite company's accessibility solution meets our rules, feel free to call the Disability Rights Office or file a complaint. Um, and, you know, we, we look at those and take those very seriously. The other set of accessible user interface rules covers any device that plays video programming. These are things like TVs, smart TVs, tablets, smartphones, removable media players uh, like, you know, Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire Stick, computers, even smart refrigerators. If your smart refrigerator can play video programming, it has to have accessible controls. And rear entertainment systems in the headrests of cars or in the car ceiling, uh, you know, they, those, those as well are covered by these rules. The accessibility rules apply to these devices and to any pre-installed apps or video players that come with the device. It also applies to apps or players that a user is directed to download from the manufacturer or seller. Uh, the accessibility rules are not applicable to just any old app you find in the app store, but many of these devices come with hundreds of apps pre-installed. These devices must be accessible if they were manufactured on or after December 20th, 2016. 
You can now find accessible TVs from multiple manufacturers right in the store. You can find accessible DVD players. Most of these are not special specialty devices. They're the same devices that everyone else buys, but you should check with the manufacturer to make sure you're buying an accessible device. They're not required to make every single device accessible. Now, the cable set-top boxes must have a simple and easy-to-use mechanism to turn on and off the secondary audio stream, something like a button key or icon. If you cannot turn off the secondary audio stream quickly, you will not be able to listen to emergency emergency information announcement, for instance. Uh, if you can't turn off on and off the secondary audio stream, you also won't be able to listen to audio description. Certain categories of digital apparatus, such as display-only monitors, video projectors, devices primarily designed for purposes other than displaying video programming, were subjected to a deferred compliance deadline of December 20th, 2021, and are now covered by our rules. Finally, uh, the Commission previously sought comment on a proposal to adopt rules that would require manufacturers and MVPDs to ensure that consumers are able to uh, readily access user display settings for closed captioning and the commission's authority to adapt, adopt such rules under the Television Decoder Circuitry Act in 1990. Uh, in January of this year, we issued a public notice seeking to refresh that record. Uh, comments were due in, in February and reply comments were, were just due uh, on March 4th. Finally, now that I've discussed with detail, excruciating detail in some instances, the results of some of our rulemakings, uh, we, we, that we've conducted pursuant to the CVAA. Let me touch on the other way the Commission is often asked to engage on accessibility issues, adjudications. While these can sometimes be enforcement actions taken outside of my bureau in response to consumer complaints, in the media bureau, we're most often asked to adjudicate waiver petitions. So, you know, from time to time, regulatees are that are subject to our rules uh, petition the Commission to grant a waiver of specific rules in certain circumstances or subject to certain conditions. The CVA itself provided specific waivers or exemptions, and the Commission also has general authority to waive its rules on a case-by-case basis if granting such a waiver serves the public interest. Often, particularly in the context of audio description, uh, as I mentioned earlier, when it comes to TVS, entities seeking a limited waiver of certain requirements propose alternate requirements that they can satisfy in service to the public interest. Uh, so TBS's instance, they, they, they committed to, uh, airing much more audio described programming than they otherwise would have without respect to repeats. Uh, and generally we found that, that, that served the public interest and that limited waiver request was granted. The commission has also been asked from time to time to grant limited waivers of our user interface accessibility rules. This has come up most frequently before my time in the Bureau with certain car companies. I mentioned the rear rear entertainment systems. Uh, Typically, these waivers were confined to certain models manufactured in certain years. They did not alter the company's ongoing obligations to ensure their entertainment systems comply with the commission rules. So, for instance, in 2017, we granted a limited waiver to Honda for certain Honda and Acura models that were manufactured between 2017 and 2020. Uh, same, in the same year, we also granted Fiat Chrysler uh, a retroactive waiver with respect to certain Dodge Journey vehicles. So from time to time, we've been asked to, to do that. Finally, we're currently considering a waiver petition from Peloton, the interactive fitness company. On December 20th, 2021, Peloton filed a petition requesting the Media Bureau grant, grant a limited waiver of the Commission's rules requiring the accessibility of user interfaces on covered digital apparatus. Uh, specifically, uh, Peloton requests an 18-month waiver of certain requirements from December 20th, 2021 
to June 20th, 2023. Uh, with respect to the bike, bike plus, tread, tread plus, and some other pieces of exercise equipment that, that they uh, got through a uh, acquisition. Uh, and any future products that may be subject to the commission's accessibility obligations. In December of last year, we issued a public notice seeking comment on the petition. Uh, comments were due in January, replies due in February, and uh, that record's still open, and we're currently considering the comments that came in and evaluating that record. And I'll, I'll just close briefly, and I think some of my colleagues will touch on this as well, as, as ways people can participate in the commission's work. I, I'd say, you know, I've talked about a lot of stuff, and we truly require, we rely heavily on stakeholders like ACB, ACB's members, consumers uh, to weigh in and let us know what's working and what's not. One of the best ways to engage with the FCC uh, is to participate in these proceedings that I've been mentioning. We, we uh, launch a proceeding or, be, or begin a waiver petition typically with some type of public notice posted on the FCC's website. It could include a, a, a straight public notice, a notice of inquiry. Um, you know, if, if we're trying to actually formulate rules, it could be a notice of proposed rulemaking. Uh, but each of these types of documents includes instructions for members of the public interested in filing comments, and it will also include a docket number to help keep all of the filings that come in in the same place. Uh, the filing instructions and the docket numbers will direct folks to the Commission's Electronic Comment Filing System, or, or ECFS. This is found at www.fcc.gov ECFS. At that website, anybody can search for the filings in a given proceeding, see what others are saying, submit their own filing, either using a standard form for uploading or a more uh, uploading a more formal filing or through an express comment form geared more towards individual consumers. The Media Bureau has dedicated docket numbers to correspond to many of our different issues. For instance, audio description items are always filed in docket number 11-43. Uh, Accessible set-top box and user interface filings are in docket number 12-108. Uh, that includes the pending Peloton waiver request and the public notice I previously mentioned on readily accessible display settings. And our relatively new docket with filings responsive to the CVAA public notice is 21-140. These dockets are regularly monitored and often are the landing spot for incoming waiver requests from industry stakeholders. Um, and again, I'll stress, we rely on public input to do our work. I'd highly encourage everyone here to get involved with our proceedings, to share your expertise. Uh, and so that's, that's it. Thank you. Thank you for bearing with me on that very deep dive. I'm looking forward to hearing from you all during the Q&A. Uh, and with that, I'm going to turn it over to Lyle for his portion of the presentation. And this is Clark again, Michael. Thank you so much for that. And Thank you for sticking around for questions. If folks do have questions, please email them to questions at acb.org or text or call Janet Dickelman at 651-428-5059. Again, Michael, thank you. And yes, uh, let's turn it over to hear from Lyle Ishida. Thank you very much. Aloha awina la, a warm and pleasant good afternoon to everyone. My name is Lyle Ishida. I serve as the FCC's Chief of the Consumer Affairs and Outreach Division. I sit before you as a medium-built Asian man. My pronouns are he and him. And I greet you with a warm smile of aloha from Hawaii, my home state, so far away from Washington, D.C. I'd like to take a couple of seconds to 
discuss the FCC's role in rolling out the Affordable Connectivity Program. As Clark mentioned at the very top of this event, a number of things are paramount, including adoption for broadband. Our chairwoman, Jessica Rosenworcel, wants a broadband ecosystem for all. And one of the things that prevents an internet for all is cost. Cost is one of the primary drivers for non-adoption. The Affordable Connectivity Program, or ACP, uh, is a subsidy program to help those with limited means afford their broadband bill. And so I'd like to take a couple of seconds to describe it. And then, like any real good government agent, I'm going to have an ask because, you know, we're the federal government. So we're here to help, but we'd also like some help. The ACP provides a subsidy of up to $30 a month for broadband service and associated equipment rentals or for residents living on the federally recognized tribal lands, $75 a month discount for their broadband bills. For participating providers, and there are a number of them uh, that are by by state on our website, uh, consumers may get a $100 discount for a laptop, a desktop, or tablet purchased through the provider, not through Best Buy, um, with a participating $10 to $50 copay. So as I mentioned, this is primarily for low-income households or households of limited means. So let me talk about the qualification criteria for them. Uh, A household is eligible if it sits at or below 200% of poverty guidelines. And uh, that depends on the number of folks in your household. So it's a moving target in terms of raw numbers. If any member of a household meets any one of these criteria, then their entire household is eligible for the ACP. If you participate in SNAP, Medicaid, Federal Public Housing Assistance, SSI, WIC, or Lifeline, that means you're automatically qualified for the ACP um, subsidy. For people living on tribal lands, tribal-specific programs such as the Bureau of Indian Affairs General Assistance, tribal TANF, which in tribal circles is known in the past as the Commodities Program, or food distribution program on Indian reservations programs qualify for you. The national school lunch program and school breakfast program, including community, community eligibility provisions, make a, any member of the household qualify the entire household for the ACP. Uh, if any member of the household has received a Pell Grant in the current award year, or any member of the household receives veterans pension and survivors benefits, or any member of the, of the household qualifies, is participating in a provider's existing low-income program, then you qualify for these uh, subsidy discount programs. So to enroll, it's relatively easy. Um, household, um, household representatives just go to acpbenefit.com. Dot .org, acbbenefit.org, or they, and they need to qualify their, um, their, their talk to their qualifying provider to select a plan once they qualify for the ACP. Some providers have an alternate uh, 
application that they'll ask you to complete on site or over the phone. Um, but those are, that's not everybody. Those tend to be larger providers. Now, the ACP program, as passed by the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act, came with a number of consumer protections. And so, if you are familiar with its predecessor, the EBB, the Emergency Broadband Benefit, which is a COVID area benefit program, the ACP has additional protections, and they include the following. So the consumers, once they have qualified for the ACP, can choose any service plan that meets their needs and the needs of their household, not including a plan they're on, but doesn't necessarily have to be that. Wow, that was a long way for me to say the provider cannot just say, hey, you, you qualify for this benefit, but now you got to take this Cadillac plan. And your, your net result is that you don't really get the full effect of the, um, the, the benefit. Also, um, consumers who, have, who are qualified for ACP have access to supported broadband services regardless of their credit status and regardless of any past due balances or prior debt, debt from enrolling in the program. The ACP does not allow providers to force consumers into more expensive or lower quality plans. And in our rollout and transition to the EB from the EBB, which is the COVID area plan, COVID era plan to the ACP, the FCC took a number of steps to prevent bill shock or other financial harms. Um, separately, we are rolling out a dedicated FCC process for ACP complaints. So one thing I have in terms of the ACP, this is an ask, is while we have a team of 12 folks in the outreach division that are dedicated to support consumers and households and getting information about programs that are beneficial to them their family, their households, their, their communities, love to get other outreach partners working with us. So I know in your circle, there are people who are scout leaders, who are librarians, who are volunteers, who belong to garden clubs and iguanas clubs and et cetera. If you love, if you want to connect us to a speaker for one of your monthly or weekly meetings, we would love to come talk to you and talk to your colleagues, your neighbors, friends, parishioners. Send us an email for a speaker request to acpspeakers, all one word, at fcc.gov. And what we'll do is we'll make sure that we're there. We're available seven days a week, nights, mornings, we would love to help. We would love to talk to those in your circle about it. Uh, I have a couple of resources and a couple of ways that uh, those uh, people who are interested can find support and find applications. The helpline for the ACP Support Center is toll free 1 877 384 2575. Also, you can request uh, outreach material in accessible formats through sending an email to FCC504 at FCC.gov.
www.ghanaplus.gov. And to apply online, again, you, you, uh, the URL is acpbenefit.org. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, because my presentation shirt, I'm going to take a uh, speaker's advantage to just uh, put out a uh, redundant plea. We would love to work with you in your circles, in hyper-local circles, really, um, where you can help serve as an ambassador to help folks understand the program, get online, and break down the number one barrier that stands between consumers and adoption of broadband, which is cost. And with that, I want to conclude my briefing. I look forward to questions. I believe, Clark, shall I turn it over to you or directly to Daryl? Well, Lyle, thank you so much. And thank you for sharing uh, that email address of acpspeakers at fcc.gov. Did I get that correct? That is absolutely correct. And we look forward to more talking to more people and evangelizing the program to the benefit of consumers, particularly in the disability community. We really are here to help. Perfect. So everyone out there who's involved in planning uh, affiliate conventions, uh, another great resource for you all to have available for for your members. And last but not least, I'd like to turn it over to Daryl Cooper. Daryl, good afternoon. Daryl, you muted. Are you on mute, Daryl? I did mute myself. There um, you are. Hey, I was saying hello to everybody, and uh, thanks for the invitation. Um, I'm Daryl Cooper. I'm an attorney with the FCC and the Disability Rights Office. I'm a white man with red hair and glasses. My pronouns are he and him. I've been at the FCC since 1996 when the Telecom Act was passed. I've worked on disability access since 2010 when I joined the FCC's Enforcement Bureau. I joined the FCC's Disability Rights Office in 2014. Um, our office is responsible for the FCC's telecommunications and advanced communications services and rules. Um, tagging off what Lyle said about the ACP, ACP program, it's our responsibility to fly spec documents for the ACP and other broadband programs to make sure that the rules ensure accessibility. For the ACP, um, the laptops and tablets purchased must be accessible to people who are blind because these tablets and laptops provide text messaging and email. And under our rules, um, those text-based services must be accessible to people who are blind under the CDAA and under our ACS rules. The apps installed on these computers, such as email and text messaging, must also be accessible. Um, part of the reason, like I said, it also helps, um, as um, Lyle and Michael said, it also helps ensure accessibility when the public files comments as well. Um, it's also our job to present and prepare the biennial CDA report to Congress. The CDAA requires the commission to report every two years the state of accessibility for advanced communication services. The report to Congress requires three things. First, we ask the public to comment on services where accessibility has improved and where it has not. We base our findings on these examples. It's important that I point out that we don't provide the commission's opinions and we don't provide examples. We don't do our own research. 
what we report is what the public tells us. So if you tell us that there are certain problems, you know, specify what apps are you using? How, why is the app not accessible? You know, what, in what situations? You know, give the vivid examples. That's what has the impact. You know, I, we have a lot, a large working knowledge of, you know, what impacts accessibility for different communities. But this report isn't what we think. It's what's, what's going on with you. Um, second, we asked the public to comment on upcoming technologies and on possible accessibility barriers. Comments question where their services and development will be accessible. These services have included future augmented reality and virtual reality services. Third, we report on consumer and company resolutions of accessibility concerns. If a consumer has a communication service or device that isn't accessible to them, they may file a request for dispute assistance with the Disability Rights Office. We then contact the company, usually me or one other guy in the office, and we begin facilitating a conversation between the individual and the company to resolve the accessibility concern in the way that the individual wants it. If the consumer's complaint isn't resolved, then the consumer may file a complaint with the Enforcement Bureau for an FCC decision. Um, Since 2013, when we started the RDA program, we've resolved over 140 to the agreement of both the consumer and the company. Only one complaint has gone to the commission, and that went last year. And the commission issued a decision that said that technical support must be accessible. Um, That's the first written decision we've had to have in in 12 years or 11 years. Um, So going back to the comments, and, and those complaints, those complaints form the facts that are the basis of the report. You know, it's the incremental enforcement of, of the statute that has, you know, achieved, I think, justice for individuals and the public at large. Um, if one individual can get an accessible app, and what might have been a nuisance for somebody else that, it, oh, you, you know, you're using your screen reader to buy something and the send button doesn't work. If some guy files a complaint and gets it fixed, you know, it helps everybody. I'm going to give you a couple, give you some examples of what people have filed on over the years and what was fixed for them. Um, We had complaints where consumers couldn't make telephone calls or send text messages because apps weren't readable. Um, They couldn't purchase phones online because the purchase button wasn't readable. Couldn't activate devices at home because the number was written on a piece of paper. Um, unable to check voicemails at home because websites were not accessible to screen readers. Updates um, made formerly accessible apps inaccessible. Um, updates to operating systems reset accessibility features, putting people back at ground one. Um, in this collaborative process, though, with the individual and the providers, this is what happened. Websites were rewritten. Websites were rewritten. Accessibility features were restored for everybody. Phones were rebuilt and apps were rebuilt. Um, cons- customer service departments received additional training and a, a repeated training. Um, these are some of the results that um, we got from the RDA process and that were reported last year. And as I said, the results benefit everyone. And and that's why it's so important that even if um, you or somebody uh, that you help thinks that 
it's just a nuisance that something isn't accessible. If you can get it fixed, it can really help help other people. Um, the report for the report this year, um, initial comments are due on April 4th. And what's going to happen after we get those comments is we are going to uh, draft up tentative findings based on the comments from all stakeholders. And then we will issue a public notice this summer with, and then we'll attach the tentative findings of the Commission on the State of Accessibility for Advanced Communication Services and Telecommunications. And at that time, the public will have um, an opportunity to reply and add additional material or contest material. And then on October 8th, we'll send the report to Congress. Um, I want to encourage everyone to file. Um, thank you for letting me speak today. And that's, that's my presentation. Great. Thank you so much, Daryl. And I'm sure we've got folks who are sending their questions into Janet Dickelman at questions at acb.org. Uh, but one of the, the privileges of being the moderator and getting to, to lead panels like this is that you always get to ask your questions, right? So I'd just like to kick things off with a, with a, a question or two for each of you. And then also see if Swatha has any questions she'd like to ask before we get to the, the audience questions. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll start with, with you, Michael. And again, thank you for your presentation earlier. Uh, interesting, uh, what I found interesting uh, of your, your conversation was the, the pending waiver petition for Peloton Interactive. And certainly we understand that uh, you might be limited in what you can say uh, regarding that ongoing proceeding. But ACB did file comments that along with our colleagues in the deaf and hard of hearing community regarding that waiver petition. Um, also of note at the Disability Advisory Committee meeting um, just in the, the last week or, or two, uh, Commissioner Starks talked about um, the health crisis and the comorbid conditions facing people with disabilities and highlighted um, the awareness of accessible and adaptive sports. I think one great example of that is has been ongoing for the past two weeks, and that's the Winter Paralympic Games, which are aired by NBC Universal um, in prime time with audio description. Um, so I'm curious to hear your thoughts about a, a major broadcaster providing a live audio description for uh, you know, live sporting events, the Olympics, the Paralympics, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, um, and many more, because that, that's not required by the current rules, correct? Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, in, in, in fact, under, you know, the, the current rules, as I, as I noted, at least with respect to cable networks, that uh, airing a significant, you know, portion of live programming uh, is, you know, seen as, as a way to, um, you know, get a, get a, get a waiver or an exemption from the rules. But no, I think what it's showing you is, is, you know, and, and not to speak out of turn. I mean, I think this is, it's obvious, right. It can be done, <laughs> it can be done. And, um, and it's great that, that, you know, there are folks, uh, that are, that are doing it. And, uh, you know, I, to the extent that, um, you know, 
folks, entities like ACB and your members see examples of, of folks who are doing it the right way. I think those it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, there, there are things, there are other ways to influence action, you know, other than, uh, at the FCC in 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 in, in, a, in a certain uh, proceeding, right? But uh, encouraging other companies to follow the lead of of industry leaders and, and you know incorporate best practices that that you know are helping advance the ball forward. I think that 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 is a, a valid way of of, of creating change. Um, and so I'll, I'll last thing I'll just say is that and and and. You know, I don't want to make news here, but Clark, you'll be participating in our in our forum uh, on audio description in in just a few weeks, and I, I hope that we can have more of this conversation there. Not only with respect to you know what entities are showing on broadcast stations or cable networks, but you know what we're seeing on streaming apps and what we're seeing online, and, and you know where gaps currently exist or or who's doing it right. Um, that's the type of conversation I, I think we're really anxious to have. Uh, at this forum on March 28th, and uh, I hope hopefully we can continue it there. Thank you, and I'm glad you mentioned uh, streaming providers. So earlier in your comments, you mentioned the um, you know the accessible user interface requirements for uh, cable, uh, fiber, satellite, TV providers. You know, many of our members are starting to cut the cord, just like the rest of the population, and they might have. Um, services that look a lot like cable, um, but might not be considered cable that they receive, you know, over the top or from a streaming service. So whether it's a, a sling or a YouTube TV, um, do the FCC's requirements extend to these services as well? Well, it, it depends which requirements we're talking about. If we're talking specifically about the audio description requirements in terms of the amount of hours that folks are are, are required to, uh, to to show, um, you know, we are Congress kind of laid that out for us. You know, we're we, we're looking at top broadcasters in certain markets, and we're looking at top cable networks uh, over a three year period. Um, so the short answer to that is for audio description requirements. No, we don't necessarily have clear authority. Uh, you know, to, to, uh, you know, require audio description online. Uh, so, you know, that's where additional advocacy helps perhaps uh, up on the Hill. Uh, but also that's where the, these convenings, like I've mentioned, I think will kind of help, help us gather information and figure out exactly what's going on. Thank you. And, and Daryl Ford folks, uh, you mentioned about the, the complaint process and the work of the Disability Rights Office, and thank you so much for that. Uh, when folks have complaints, and if the complaints are related to a, uh, a pay TV provider, whether it's a cable company or a satellite provider um, regarding audio description, uh, can you kind of walk us through the, the typical course of action or path that the office takes? Um, say, say I have a, a satellite provider and I'm not able to receive audio description. Um, what can I expect by working with the Disability Rights Office? Um, this is Daryl. That um, question interests me a lot. I think, you know, that what the CBA did for me to back up a second is the CBA put into place a very robust enforcement scheme for advanced communication services. Under that statute, the statute directed uh, the commission 
to institute an enforcement complaint process that would result in a six-month decision by the commission. The statute required the commission to issue a decision in six months. The difference between advanced communications and everything else is that everything else does not have that, right? So a lot of the what a lot of the power that consumers have is is has to be at the front end, right? When you're talking to Congress or when you're in participating in rulemaking. Enforcement, I think, drives <laughs> a lot of compliance ahead of time. Um, so saying all that. Um, we don't really, uh, we work collaboratively with Michael's office and um, the companies. Um, we have a, a complaints engagement team. And when the complaint comes in, it's sent out within two or three days to the company. And I believe um, media, the media bureau is always involved. And it's brought to their attention. Um, a lot of times, um, it involves, you know, educating the consumer on what is and isn't possible. And if it's possible, I mean, what is and isn't required. And if it is required in narrowing in and digging in on that, the rules to consumer probably don't make a lot of sense because you're looking at the same TV and you're having service provided by the same provider over the top or broadcast or, or whatnot. So it's pretty confusing for them. Um, at, at the end of the day, though, um, the, the best I think that our engagement team can do is, is um, heighten awareness and on with the broadcaster um, and, and point things out next part day meetings like why do you, why is there things like so you're a broadcast station, but your affiliates are streaming online and their online streaming is audio described. Why is online streaming over the top audio described, but, you know, your live broadcasting may not be. Um, so it's like in t- the, those changes can be affected in informal conversations like that where we're facilitating, but there's not anything more than we can do than just have a conversation. Thank you, Daryl. That's very helpful. And then just one more from me. Um, Lyle, thank you so much for sharing about the Affordable Connectivity Program. Uh, I am happy to report that the American Council of the Blind is an outreach partner of the FCC. Um, We work for the Emergency Broadband Benefit as well as the the ACP. And the ACP is uh, celebrating a great great landmark of success. And we're happy to to be a part of that celebration. If I Remember correctly, the ACP has now connected over uh, 10 million consumers. Is that correct? Thank you for thank you for that uh, cue. Absolutely, uh, Clark, and thank you for ACP's leadership in terms of being an outreach partner. Yes, in fact, our discussion at this event is one of the 10 grassroots or direct to consumer events that we're going to do to celebrate the 10 million mark that the White House announced about uh, three or four weeks ago. And in, if I mind, if I could just for 30 more seconds into discussing, discussing our work with partners, the ACP right now has a further notice and proposed rulemaking out to discuss and get ideas on how we would give out grants to community service 
and serving organizations to help further information and awareness to consumers that FNPRM, and we're just looking for ideas and particularly those community entities who already are in this space would really have a lot to say to tell us because they're experienced. The comment period ends in two days, but reply comments are not due until April 15th. And so for anyone, as far as uh, my voice can carry, we would love to get ideas on how to, how to structure grants to entities who are, who can really effectively push the uh, ACP message and also assistance to consumers to sign up so that we can make sure that those who have this ability and qualify for it, we don't leave their, that money on the table for them and we can boost, um, boost enrollment in uh, an adoption to broadband. So thank you for both the celebration message and also for the queue to talk about the grants. Absolutely. And Swatha, do you have any questions or should we turn it over to Janet? Well, sorry to do, do, do my, my questions, but uh, I just want to um, ask um, Daryl, um, how can our members or the community um, submit a complaint or um, file for assistance with the FEC if they're having issues with their um, programming? Hi, this is Daryl. Thanks for that question. Um, there's an email box that they can send uh, their complaint to, and um, our team will fill out a form for them. Or they can go to um, the FCC website and complete more of the details themselves. I can let me post that link in just a second. Should, should I post it in the chat or the the chat will be disabled? Yeah, chat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's something that we can pass along. And Daryl, what's that email address? Um, Clark, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to email it to you because um, I never email it. Um, my, but you'll send it out later on. Is that absolutely? Yeah, I can do that. All okay. right. Yeah, but just, just a email. Hmm. Yeah, this is Michael. Uh, just to say, the 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 website is consumer complaints dot fcc.gov um so that's where you could go that's our consumer complaint center and and you know it, it, it kind of walks folks through how to fill out a a form so that's one avenue that, that folks can take advantage of okay. and, and this is loud if you don't mind me um but as well there's a phone number that you can call a 1-800 phone number that'll walk you through with a uh live assistant so not one of those you know just press buttons thing and that is 1-888-225-5322. The way to remember is 1-888-CALL-FCC. And uh, tell the uh, camps, the, the operator, that you want to file a complaint. Very great. Clark, can you were for Q&A? Janet, great. any questions? I am here. All right. Um, Lyle, I've had a request, and I'm going to ask one more question before you give out the address so that people can get ready to write it down. But I've had a request, a couple of requests for you to repeat that address for ACP uh, for people to inquire about assistance. So I'm going to ask my next question, and then if you would repeat that so people can get ready to write it down. Um, 
I have a question about the responsibility for smart TVs. If someone has a smart TV and the sign-on screen and or the apps aren't accessible, who's responsible for making sure that works properly? Hi, this is Michael. Um, yeah, so I mean, it, 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 it tends to be fairly fact-specific for the for televisions themselves with, with built-in, uh, you know, function, functionality. There, there are requirements that that functionality be, be made accessible. Um, when it comes to individual apps on, on that device, uh, it, 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 the app maker could share some responsibility for making sure that certain functionalities are accessible. So, you know, the best thing I'd say is, um, you know, again, we love to hear from consumers if there's a specific smart TV and a specific app that is, that it seems like it is not functioning as it should. I'd say, uh, send us, get in touch with, with, with 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 Daryl over at DRO, get in touch with our our, our complaint team, uh, and you know we have, we have a lot of folks on hand that, as Daryl mentioned, that really like to try to um, figure that stuff out and help where we can. Great, thank you. And Lyle, you want to give that address now that hopefully people are ready to take it down sure. again? Sure, absolutely. The email address for information about the ACP and how to apply. Both same email addresses, ACP support, all one word, uh, at USAC, USAC dot org, org, and that's a one stop shop, particularly when you're ready to apply. And their phone number is 1 877 384 2575. And one last email address, if you would like information about uh, the ACP in accessible formats, um, write us at FCC504 at FCC.gov. Janet, thank you for the question. You're welcome. Um, next question is from someone whose community that she lives in is thinking of switching from Dish Network to an IPTV. Um, and she wants to know if that's accessible. I'm not familiar with IPTV, but I'm sure one of you is. Yeah, hey, this is this is um, Michael again. Uh, yeah, and again, this it, it would depend uh, to some degree. It would you know it would be good to know the, the all the facts since a lot of this is so fact specific, but. You know, there, as I mentioned in my presentation, there, in terms of video programming accessibility, there are a number of requirements that, you know, will, will, will carry over. Um, there may be some that, that, that do not. So it's, it's, uh, you know, again, uh, specific to, you know, what, what they're, what they're, what they're moving towards. Um, but I'll say again, you know, if there's a problem, uh, We've got folks here that like to uh, dig in on that. Right. Very good. Um, now, this is kind of a guesswork question, but I'm going to ask. Uh, Michelle from Virginia wants to know, since CBS made the announcement yesterday that they are going to audio describe all of their primetime TV, um, what 
do you think is going to happen with the other networks? Will they follow suit um, for their primetime TV shows and um, in audio description? And, and this is Clark. So just to provide some additional context here, um, CBS Viacom joined a panel of, with our audio description project yesterday afternoon and confirmed that they are now audio describing nearly all of their primetime content. Uh, so significantly more than the 87 and a half hours uh, per quarter. And their, their goal is you know, to push towards 100%. And certainly if something is not audio described at the time it airs, um, they will describe it for, for reruns as well. So, uh, Michael, probably the question to you, what, what do you think about that uh, commitment and announcement from CBS for their broadcast uh, primetime lineup? And how do you think that'll impact the rest of the industry? Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's fantastic news. That's fantastic news. Um, you know, as you mentioned, that goes beyond our, 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 or is very likely to go beyond our requirements, uh, you know, which, which hopefully suggests that they see it as a, a competitive, you know, advantage that, 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 you know, they see it as a way to differentiate themselves from others who are not doing that. And, uh, you know, I can't speculate as to, you know, what, what, what may happen as a result of that throughout the industry. But, you know, I, I think that our, our, my hope would be that, uh, others, others follow suit. And I believe you mentioned this, but I was taking a call. Otherwise I wouldn't necessarily ask the question, but I think you did bring this up, but, um, things like Zulu and YouTube, What's the requirement for them for audio description under the Video Communications Act? So under, under the, this is Michael, under the CVAA, um, our audio description requirements extend to uh, television broadcasters uh, in, in the top 80 networks, so the big four broadcasters in the top 80 networks, and uh, cable systems as it pertains to the top five um, cable networks that uh, on the, on, on, on the count of ratings. Um, so, you know, currently as, as under the authority given to us by the CVAA, uh, you know, it's kind of circumscribed in that way. So, you know, the CVAA did not direct us, you know, to institute audio description requirements for streaming services. Uh, and, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, that doesn't mean we're not interested in it. And in fact, uh, on March 28th, we'll be holding a forum to dis- to discuss that that very issue. And I hope folks will tune into that as well and participate in that. Information will be forthcoming on the FCC's website. This is uh, Daryl. I, I wanted to maybe have a question from Michael. Um, we got some questions about YouTube TV, which acts, you know, it acts like a cable channel on MVPD, right? And it broadcasts simultaneously with CBS and the other networks, whatever's on network TV. Um, I'm thinking about the captioning rules. I'm sorry. But those have to be, yeah, they have, they have to be captioned. But if it's simulcast, would the audio descriptions be passed through um, if a broadcaster or a cable operator is passing them through? Are there pass-through requirements for... Not, 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 not for, 
uh, on, on for the for the MVPD or uh, a, you know a, broad, a broadcaster there would be for an online entity you, you know there there would there would not be I mean this starts to get into some of the more interesting topics that the commission has grappled with in recent years in terms of how to do, how to define MVPDs and where online video distributors fall into place, you know, amongst our, our regulatory scheme that's outside of the CBAA. Um, but yeah, our, the the audio description rules, you know, as and just to be clear, I mean, these were we had rules in place ten years before the CBAA. The CBAA told us to put those rules back in place, and so that's kind of different than some of the rest of the CBAA that kind of wrote out new uh, th- things they wanted to just make new rules on. That we were we see ourselves as kind of circumscribed in the way that, you know, we were told to re-implement the previous rules and, and not really given much authority beyond that. Um, and so, you know, we've been trying to juice as much uh, as we can out of, out of that, out of that. Uh, but we certainly have the understanding that the landscape has, has been changing. And that is it for the questions that I have had sent to me. I think you all did such a great job on your presentation. I think you covered everything. Well, thank you so much, Janet. And uh, a big thank you to our guests uh, and colleagues from the Federal Communications Commission. So Michael Scarato, Lyle Ishida, and Daryl Cooper. Thank you so much for participating in the ACB Leadership Conference and allowing us to help celebrate the success of the Affordable Connectivity Program while sharing information with our members about the FCC's rules regarding video user interfaces, audio description, and the work and upcoming uh, comment periods for the FCC in the Disability Rights Office. And thank you all. This was a great presentation. So, Swatha, following this section, uh, set this session, you will be back on uh, for another wrap-up show, correct? Yes, with Gabe. Yes, with Gabe Lopez-Gifari. And, yeah, on ACB Media 6. So. All right, on ACB Media 6 for the Spanish language wrap-up show. And then we will be back. Uh, Cindy and Colby will be kicking things off again tomorrow at 12.30 Eastern uh, for day two and the final day of the ACB Leadership Conference. Yep. Can't wait. (laughs) Can't wait for day two or can't wait for the final day? For day two, I mean, just like the sessions before. (laughs) It's a good lineup uh, and certainly enjoyed our time with folks here today. So a big thank you to everyone for joining us and we look forward to continuing the programming tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you all. Thanks all. And keep advocating. Oh yeah. Keep advocating. Thank you. Gracias, Rick. Eh, si escucharon esa voz, era la voz de Rick Morin. Eh, nuestro director de ACB Media, ACB Media, es quien nos tiene al aire todos los días. <ríe> eh, Suaza eh, me va a acompañar en unos minutos. Um, hoy ha sido un día 
extremadamente largo para Suaza y Clark Rockwell, que son las personas en ACB encargadas de todo lo que es abogacía y de promover los imperativos legislativos que será una gran parte de la media hora que vamos a compartir con ustedes eh, mientras espero a Suaza eh, les comento que hoy es el tercer día de las reuniones de liderazgo de ACB el, los primeros dos días como pudieron ver sábado y domingo hablamos acerca de eh, perdón Okay. <risa> hablamos de lo que era todo lo que está pasando internamente en la organización, los planes, los proyectos, eh, temas de interés para los afiliados, tanto estatales como de interés especial. Y eh, el día de hoy, lunes y mañana martes, todo es dedicado a la parte legislativa de la labor que estamos haciendo en ACB. Y esa labor legislativa es llevar una serie de imperativos que están traducidos al español. En breve les diremos dónde encontrarlos, eh, si no se registraron para las reuniones. Eh, y son cuatro imperativos. Eh, como siempre, empezamos esta tarde con um, la conexión a la comunidad, con Cindy y Kobe. Um, quienes nos mantienen siempre eh, con algo novedoso para para novedoso e informativo. Eh, creo que Suaza ya nos ya está con nosotros. Suaza, bienvenida. Sí, uh, perdona que uh, estás. No, ya. para nada, Pero, Suaza. Sí, es, bien, ahora que Bien, no, no, justo yo le decía a, a nuestros oyentes que tú has tenido un día intenso, sí. como decimos en inglés, non-stop, sin parar. Oh, okay. Así que yo, yo me imaginé que necesitabas un, un pequeño break para tomar agua, para, para estirarte un poco, para descansar de Zoom. Sí, fue un día larga, el largo, uh -huh. y uh, es un día más muy activa. Sí. 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 Bueno, por, por el momento, Suata, solo le comentaba a nuestros oyentes de habla hispana que lo, lo que lo que hicimos lo que estuvimos haciendo hoy día fue eh, la primera parte de lo que es la sección legislativa de las reuniones de liderazgo les explicaba que sábado y domingo era uh, más que todo uh, interno eh, cuestiones internas de ACB y de los afiliados y bueno uh, aparte de que anoche Después de que Suaza y yo estuvimos con ustedes a las siete y media, nuestro presidente Dan Spoon y nuestro director ejecutivo tuvieron en la conversación informal con otros líderes de la comunidad de personas ciegas y baja visión en Estados Unidos. Fue una conversación muy, muy excitante, muy, uh, muy llena de, de información y llena de, de anécdotas personales que son de mucha utilidad para todos nosotros los que estamos tratando de seguir los pasos de estos líderes de la comunidad. ¿Qué te pareció el Fireside Chat, Suata, anoche? ¿Qué te pareció? Ah, sí, uh, sí uh, tú también um, me, me, uh, yo, me estoy de acuerdo. Uh, 
fue muy excitante y um, uh -huh. es um, yo uh, me siento um, que los uh, directores ejecutivos um, son más como personas y uh, sí. más como um, humans. No sé. Sí, sí, no, lo dijiste perfectamente, Suata. Lo dijiste de una forma sumamente elocuente. De verdad que, que sí, muchas veces creemos que los directores ejecutivos o las personas de alto rango en ciertas organizaciones son como, como que no sabemos nada de ellos a nivel personal y anoche tuvimos la oportunidad de conocer, de entrar en la vida y como tú dijiste, eso hace darnos cuenta que son humanos, que son personas que, que tienen <ríe> gustos, disgustos y, y, y conocimos un poco más de ellos. Sí, y, y tú cuentos um, con el um, Dumb Blind Moment, no sé cómo es en español, pero um, es una silly, uh, tonta. Um, sí, 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 lo que siempre hacemos nosotros es, es, es tomar, tomarlo por el lado más, mm, más ligero. A veces sí. lo, lo que nos pasa como personas ciegas, eh, eh, tú sabes, a veces es, es mejor reírse que frustrarse uh -huh. <ríe> y eso fue algo que también como tú dices fue ilustrado anoche por, por esas personas que son líderes sí. o sea que si les pasa a ellos claro que nos puede pasar a nosotros <ríe> sí. y hoy uh, tenemos tuvimos um, dos sesiones um, y dos pre presentaciones de la Axford y um, el Sí, bueno, son organizaciones gubernamentales y a veces es difícil traducirla al español porque el Access Board, uh, las dos como tú dijiste, Suata, son organizaciones federales, um, son como uh, parte del gobierno eh, y uno es el, la, el, la Junta de Accesibilidad y el otro es el Consejo Nacional de Personas con Discapacidad. Y los dos eran, um, los dos son eh, parte del gobierno federal y son organizaciones que abogan por eh, la protección de los derechos civiles de todas las personas con discapacidad. Sí, y um, me, yo ap aprendí mucho um, de la conversación con Sachin Pavitran y um, con Anton Blackintosh. Um, y yeah, así, um, mucho de um, la NCD y um, la NSD y um, el export y sus um, trabajos en um, abogacía y um, sí. sí. Sí, son organizaciones. A mí me llamó mucho la atención eh, que no yo, bueno, quizás lo había dado por por hecho y no había percatado así tan, tan directamente de lo que mencionó Anne de, de que ellos existían antes del ADA, el Americans with Disabilities Act, que es la ley federal más, digamos, más histórica y más impactante para la comunidad de personas con discapacidad y ellos existían antes del ADA y estaban trabajando antes del ADA y tuvieron participación directa 
en la formación y en la promulgación del ADA. Sí, um, y lo, las organizaciones um, va or, um, yeah, um, dos aplicaciones dos organizaciones um, abogaron um, para los um, derechos de la comunidad um, antes de um, los leyes um, se producen produ no, te decía así que tienen bastante tiempo de ellos estar trabajando y, y abogando por, por nuestra comunidad sí. y um, entonces um, Clark y yo um, uh -huh. re, reviso, re, revisan um, uh -huh. los imper, imper, imperativos legislativos y um, como el ejercicio y fitness para todos y mm -hmm. um, el no sé um, medicaments um, sí dispositivo pero si quieres eso hasta lo que podemos hacer es que los podemos ir tomando uno a uno porque si bien es cierto que el, los legislativos imperativos están en español traducidos creo que están en la página de acb.org mm -hmm. eh, igual sí. por si alguien eh, está interesado y a veces no quieren leer, pues eh, igual eh, verbalmente podemos hablar un poquito de cada uno de los imperativos. Sí. Entonces, y, um, el, pri el primero que mencionaste es el de ejercicio y fitness para todos. Uh, um, sí, uh, y el... Um, este imperativo uh, va a, a crear um, los leyes para fitness, uh, equipo, de, equipo de fitness y um, nosotros um, ab, hablamos, uh, hablamos um, ayer um, sobre la um, Get Up, Get Up, Get Move campaign. So. La Get Up, Get Move, sí, 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 la campaña que sí, tiene ICB ahora que es de, de levantarse y ponerse en movimiento. Sí. Y um, dos imperativos um, uh, um, son, re son relevantes a la campaña y um, los otros dos um, son relevantes a estas información. So, sí, hay muchas uh, res resoluciones um, sobre eso. So. Sí, ese es un muy buen punto, so hasta que las dos dos de los imperativos tienen mucha relación con lo que es la salud para nuestra comunidad eh, el primero como bueno es, es el, su nombre mismo lo dice ejercicio y fitness para todos es uh, buscar que los equipos lo man, la, las compañías que manufacturan equipos de ejercicio tales como bicicletas estáticas elípticas eh, bandas eh, incorporen un, un componente de accesibilidad para personas ciegas y baja visión, eh, ya sea por medio de botones táctiles o lectores de pantalla, para que nosotros podamos de una forma independiente manejar los equipos y tomar el control de nuestra salud y nuestro ejercicio físico y uh -huh. sin tener que depender. Lo mismo aplica para ciertos centros como gimnasios, los gyms 
de, de tener cierto nivel de accesibilidad para que nosotros podamos utilizar eh, su, su equipo y, su, y, y sus instalaciones de una forma segura e independiente. Uh -huh. Y, um, sí, uh, y, um, ¿cuáles los otros uh, imperativos? Uh, bueno, como tú bien dijiste, Suata, el imperativo de, de, de dispositivos médicos, accesibilidad a los dispositivos médicos, está muy relacionado porque eh, nos hemos dado cuenta que muchos de los dispositivos médicos, mejor dicho, todos los dispositivos médicos que existen hoy en día, eh, no cuentan con un sistema de accesibilidad. Entonces, eh, las personas que tenemos ceguera o baja visión no podemos independientemente controlar nuestra propia salud, es decir, eh, por ejemplo, las personas que tienen diabetes no pueden usar un glucómetro que hable o que tenga un botón táctil. Eh, en fin, cualquier, cualquier clase de dispositivo médico que nosotros tratemos de usar, eh, el, este imperativo está planteando Todos la necesidad. Sí. sí. Básicamente, Suata, lo que tú dices es, es cierto. Esos dos imperativos, el primero y el segundo, en, 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 en el fondo son lo mismo, se está pidiendo lo mismo en diferentes ámbitos. En el primero se está pidiendo que haya accesibilidad para uh, equipos, uh, perdón, eh, eh, sí, equipos de ejercicio y de fitness, y en el segundo que haya accesibilidad incorporada para los dispositivos médicos de uso en casa. Y los um, otros dos, um, uh, hacen mucho en el espacio de um, similar a sitios web y comunicaciones y videos. Um, es, mm. Sí, sí. Uh -huh. son, son dos ámbitos en la tecnología que, bueno, um, antes de la pandemia, pero a raíz de la pandemia se acentuó más la necesidad de utilizar tantos servicios en línea, eh, hacer compras en línea, uh, accesar eh, servicios médicos, incluso consultas médicas eh, en línea eh, por el hecho de, de, de no poder eh, estar en contacto físico con otras personas, eh, hacer muchas compras, shopping, <ríe> online shopping, el, el, el famoso comercio virtual. Entonces, el imperativo creo que habla de, eh, de elevar los niveles de accesibilidad o los estándares que se le exigen a las compañías y a las organizaciones eh, que, sean, que sus sitios web sean accesibles para eh, programas como lectores de pantalla, magnificación, Y sí, um, y um, entonces um, hay, er, hay tres, tres um, reuniones concurrentes uh, y um, yo y Claire uh, Stanley um, tenemos una um, reunión sobre los hill visits y nos um, visitas al um, la, el, el Congreso o sí. el Senado. Um, y 
cómo hacer y cómo va a ser y um, cómo les cómo cómo preparamos y um, presentamos el perdidos es muy, muy importante muy importante um, por las um, éxitos éxitos um, de los de los peligros y nuestros nuestros um, retas Sí, es, es, es un, es, es un, el, el, la reunión que tuvieron y la, y la forma como presentaron las, las indicaciones y los consejos de cómo presentar esos imperativos, porque eh, de repente eso hasta podemos eh, comentarle a nuestros oyentes que estos imperativos de los cuales hemos hablado, eh, normalmente los presentamos en persona yendo a, 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 a las oficinas del Congreso en Washington, D.C. Eh, por tema de la pandemia, pues, eh, como hemos venido hablando, estos, estos, uh, sí, es un... esta logística se está haciendo de manera virtual. Entonces vamos uh -huh. a tener reuniones vía Zoom con los, um, las oficinas de las personas del Congreso y eso se hace a nivel estatal. Entonces, por ejemplo, nosotros del estado de la Florida eh, nos reunimos con las, lo, las oficinas del Congreso, de los representantes del Congreso por el estado de la Florida, eh, Nueva York con Nueva York y así sucesivamente. Entonces presentamos estos imperativos y la idea es para los que no han participado en, un, en una asamblea legislativa como esta, la idea no es que nosotros nos convirtamos en expertos, eh, eh, para eso tenemos a, a nuestro equipo de legal y, y de abogacía eh, encabezado por Suata y Clark en la oficina principal de ACB. Nosotros somos básicamente la cara, o sea, nosotros somos, le estamos poniendo la cara a los imperativos y somos personas que somos constituyentes, que estamos, somos votantes y estamos yendo donde nuestros representantes a decirles eh, como votante de el Estado que usted representa, nosotros estamos pidiendo que estas leyes se apoyen porque son para el bienestar de nuestra comunidad. Entonces sí. lo que tú y Claire hicieron, Suata, fue justamente, no sé si nos quieres comentar un poco más de eso, de, de hablar de qué decir, qué no decir, cómo comportarse, cómo, cómo dirigirse a las personas de... de las oficinas del Congreso con las que nos vamos a encontrar esta semana. Uh -huh. Y um, es la única sesión para ti, Gabe, o um, uh, es escuchas a, a los, los a otros dos? Traté de escuchar un poco, pero hoy fue un día de trabajo para mí, entonces estaba en medio de, oh. de, 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 de citas, um, appointment meetings y, y, y tratando uh -huh. de escuchar. Me interesaba mucho también el, el, el tema de, de lo que se llama acceso a, a los peatones, eh, que fue dirigido por Becky Davidson, que es sumamente importante en materia de seguridad peatonal para las personas ciegas y baja visión y cómo abogar por señalización correcta en las calles, por sistemas APS en las, en las intersecciones, 
eh, que son los sistemas de auditivos para poder cruzar calles seguramente y los, eh, los eh, no sé cómo se dicen, los indicadores táctiles que hay en, en, el, en, el, en el suelo, en, en las aceras, en las calles para indicar que uno está llegando a una esquina. Mm, sí. Um, y el otro um, fue como los afiliados uh, pueden hablar, uh, uh, ayudar, hablar, ayudar, ayudar um, el ECB um, con la, la, la implementación um, uh, de las resoluciones uh, invertidas um, como el rehab training, um, resolución y um, sí. Sí, sí. Uh, no, no puedo uh, escuchar, pero um, sí. Sí, no, sí, sí, lo dijiste bien, rehab training. Eh, Sabes que se conoce así en español también, re, eh, entrenamiento, rehabilitación, así que sí, está bien. Sí. Sí, y um, Yo, el último, sí, uh, pero, pero uh, go ahead. No, no, sí, te quería decir, Suaza, que, 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 que me gustó que la última sesión del día eh, tiene mucho, mucho, está muy relacionada, tiene mucho que ver con el cuarto imperativo, que es el imperativo de, eh, básicamente, de crear enmiendas a la ley que existe, que tiene, creo que son 12 años ya de antigüedad, ¿cierto, Suaza? Mencionaron 12 años, ¿no? La ley, la ley de comunicaciones y videos eh, y esa ley está pues ya outdated, obsoleta porque, porque la, la tecnología ha progresado mucho uh -huh. ahora exactamente Suata, ya no solo estamos hablando de compañías televisoras que transmiten eh, programación a nivel eh, convencional como, como antes sino que ahora están, como tú dijiste, hasta los servicios de streaming, que es transmisión en vivo por medio de otra clase de dispositivos, por medio de internet, de wifi, y cómo lograr incorporar los estándares de accesibilidad que hay, pues, se han puesto para las compañías televisoras y compañías de cable a estos nuevos servicios de streaming. Eh, por ejemplo, en tema de audiodescripción, que se ha ido progresando lentamente, pero bueno, gracias al esfuerzo y a la abogacía de nuestra organización de ACB, hemos ido logrando que eh, estas leyes vayan casi como que obligando a que las compañías televisoras y de transmisión incorporen más contenido con audiodescripción. Sí, y um, el uh, programa de Affordable Oh, también, mm, muy sí. bueno, sí. Y, um, sí, uh, ¿cómo uh, pueden aplicar o cómo um, pueden, um, sí, cómo pueden um, dar comentarios uh, como el programa? Sí, sí. Sí, sí esa, esa fue una parte muy importante y creo que muchas personas eh, eh, que tengan um, necesidad de hacerlo deberían eh, si nos están escuchando, el, el, este, este programa que Suaza mencionó eh, es un um, servicio que está siendo patrocinado y subsidiado 
por el gobierno federal a través del FCC, que es la, eh, el, la agencia federal de comunicaciones, eh, en el cual eh, se está dando a, persona, a, a ciertas comunidades, dentro de las cuales la comunidad de personas con discapacidad eh, calificamos eh, para un descuento, es como un alivio por todo el, el, el peso económico que hemos sufrido durante esos dos años de pandemia. Eh, para aliviar un poco ese peso económico se está eh, dando, el gobierno está subsidiando un servicio de internet eh, a un precio descontado. Entonces, uh -huh. si ustedes no saben de ese programa y les interesa saber más, eh, quédense con nosotros hasta el final que ya estamos cerca de, de, de concluir esta media hora porque como siempre cerramos con la información de contacto de dónde pueden dirigirse a nosotros con preguntas y comentarios. Eh, ¿Qué más, Suaza? Porque yo creo que eso fue, eso fue todo eh, y como te dije, con eso concluimos no solo... Sí, pienso la... que sí. sí. Sí, ¿verdad? Es todo el día, sí. Todo el día que fue intenso y, y no te quiero hacer hablar mucho, Suaza, porque oh. <ríe> yo pensé que no ibas a poder estar aquí porque has estado todo el día de, de la una de la tarde sin parar. Así que gracias por, por hacer el esfuerzo de acompañarnos en esta sesión en español. Suaza. Ok, creo que perdimos la conexión con su ata, pero bueno. una sobrecarga de Zoom, ha estado todo el día sin parar. Eh, cualquier pregunta, como les comentábamos anteriormente, los imperativos legislativos están en la página acb.org y si necesitan más información acerca de cualquiera de los temas que hemos tocado el día de hoy o en estos tres días eh, y tocaremos mañana que estaremos aquí a las seis de la tarde hora del este, nuestro correo electrónico es bienvenidos.acb.org. Nuevamente la palabra bienvenidos, arroba acb.org. Gracias por acompañarnos en esta transmisión y nos vemos mañana y nos escuchamos mañana en este mismo canal y a esta misma hora, 6 de la tarde, hora del este.